Section 40 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Bill Mosley. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 4, by John Calvin, translated by Henry Beveridge, Chapter 18, Part 2. 10. Should anyone here obtrude concise sentences of the ancients, and contend on their authority that the sacrifice which is performed in the supper is to be understood differently, from what we have explained it, let this be our brief reply, that if the question relates to the approval of the fiction of sacrifice, as imagined by papists in the Mass, there is nothing in the Fathers to countenance the sacrilege. They indeed use the term sacrifice, but they at the same time explain that they mean nothing more than the commemoration of that one true sacrifice which Christ, our only sacrifice, as they themselves everywhere proclaim, performed on the cross. The Hebrews, says Augustine, quote, in the victims of beasts which they offered to God, celebrated the prediction of the future victim which Christ offered. Christians now celebrate the commemoration of a finished sacrifice by the sacred oblation and participation of the body of Christ. End quote. Here he certainly teaches the same doctrine which is delivered at greater length in the Treatise on Faith, addressed to Peter the Deacon, whoever may have been the author. The words are, quote, Hold most firmly, and have no doubt at all, that the only begotten became incarnate for us, that he offered himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor, to whom, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, in the time of the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed, and to whom now, with the Father and the Holy Spirit, with whom there is one Godhead, the Holy Church, throughout the whole world, ceases not to offer the sacrifice of bread and wine. For in those carnal victims there was a typifying of the flesh of Christ, which he himself was to offer for our sins, and of the blood which he was to shed for the forgiveness of sins. But in that sacrifice there is thanksgiving and commemoration of the flesh of Christ, which he offered for us and of the blood which he shed for us. Hence, Augustine himself, in several passages, explains that it is nothing else than a sacrifice of praise. In short, you will find in his writings, Passim, that the only reason for which the Lord's Supper is called a sacrifice is because it is a commemoration an image, a testimonial, of that singular, true, and only sacrifice by which Christ expiated our guilt. For there is a memorable passage 
where, after discoursing of the only sacrifice, he thus concludes, quote, Since in a sacrifice four things are considered, viz, to whom it is offered, by whom, what, and for whom, the same one true mediator, reconciling us to God by the sacrifice of peace, remains one with him to whom he offered, made himself one with those for whom he offered, is himself the one who offered, and the one thing which he offered. Chrysostom speaks to the same effect. They so strongly claim the honor of the priesthood for Christ alone that Augustine declares it would be equivalent to Antichrist for anyone to make a bishop to be an intercessor between God and man. 11. And yet we deny not that in the supper the sacrifice of Christ is so vividly exhibited as almost to set the spectacle of the cross before our eyes, just as the apostle says to the Galatians that Jesus Christ had been evidently set forth before their eyes when the preaching of the cross was delivered to them. Galatians 3, 1. But because I see that those ancient writers have wrested this commemoration to a different purpose, then was accordant to the divine institution. The supper somehow seemed to them to present the appearance of a repeated, or at least renewed, immolation. Nothing can be safer for the pious than to rest satisfied with the pure and simple ordinance of God, whose supper it is said to be, just because his authority alone ought to appear in it. Seeing that they retained a pious and orthodox view of the whole ordinance, and I cannot discover that they wish to derogate in the least from the one sacrifice of the Lord, I cannot charge them with any impiety, and yet I think they cannot be excused from having erred somewhat in the mode of action. They imitated the Jewish mode of sacrificing more closely than either Christ had ordained or the nature of the gospel allowed. The only thing, therefore, for which they may be justly censured is that preposterous analogy that not contented with the simple and genuine institution of Christ, they declined too much to the shadows of the law. 12. Any who will diligently consider will perceive that the word of the Lord makes this distinction between the Mosaic sacrifices and our Eucharist, that while the former represented to the Jewish people the same efficacy of the death of Christ, which is now exhibited to us in the supper, yet the form of representation was different. There the Levitical priests were ordered to typify the sacrifice which Christ was to accomplish. A victim was placed to act as a substitute for Christ himself. An altar was erected on which it was to be sacrificed. The whole, in short, was so conducted as to bring under the eye an image of the sacrifice which was to be offered to God 
in expiation. But now that the sacrifice has been performed, the Lord has prescribed a different method to us, viz. to transmit the benefit of the sacrifice offered to him by his Son to his believing people. The Lord, therefore, has given us a table at which we may feast, not an altar on which a victim may be offered. He has not consecrated priests to sacrifice, but ministers to distribute a sacred feast. The more sublime and holy this mystery is, the more religiously and reverently ought it to be treated. Nothing, therefore, is safer than to banish all the boldness of human sense and adhere solely to what Scripture delivers. And certainly, if we reflect that it is the supper of the Lord and not of men, why do we allow ourselves to be turned aside one nail's breadth from Scripture by any authority of man or length of prescription? Accordingly, the Apostle in desiring completely to remove the vices which had crept into the church of Corinth, as the most expeditious method, recalls them to the institution itself, showing that, thence, a perpetual rule ought to be derived. 13. Lest any quarrelsome person should raise a dispute with us as to the terms sacrifice and priest. I will briefly explain what in the whole of this discussion we mean by sacrifice and what by priest. Some, on what rational ground I see not, extend the term sacrifice to all sacred ceremonies and religious acts. We know that by the uniform use of scripture the name of sacrifice is given to what the Greeks call at one time thusia, at another prosphapa, at another teletne. This, in its general acceptation, includes everything whatever that is offered to God. Therefore, we ought to distinguish, but so that the distinction may derive its analogy from the sacrifices of the Mosaic law, under whose shadows the Lord was pleased to represent to his people the whole reality of sacrifices. Though these were various in form, they may all be referred to two classes, for either an oblation for sin was made by a certain species of satisfaction, by which the penalty was redeemed before God, or it was a symbol and attestation of religion and divine worship, at one time in the way of supplication to demand the favor of God, at another by way of thanksgiving, to testify gratitude to God for benefits received, at another as a simple exercise of piety, to renew the sanction of the covenant, to which latter branch, burnt offerings and libations, oblations, firstfruits, and peace offerings referred. Hence, let us also distribute them into two classes. The other class, with the view of explaining, let us call Latputicon and Sebasticon as consisting of the veneration and worship 
which believers both owe and render to God. Or, if you prefer it, let us call it Eucharistikon, since it is exhibited to God by none but those who, enriched with his boundless benefits, offer themselves and all their actions to him in return. The other class let us call propitiatory or expiatory. A sacrifice of expiation is one whose object is to appease the wrath of God, to satisfy his justice, and thereby wipe and wash away the sins by which the sinner being cleansed and restored to purity may return to favor with God. Hence the name which was given in the law to the victims which were offered in expiation of sin. Exodus 29.36 Not that they were adequate to regain the favor of God and wipe away guilt, but because they typified the true sacrifice of this nature, which was at length performed in reality by Christ alone. By him alone, because no other could, and once because the efficacy and power of the one sacrifice performed by Christ is eternal, as he declared by his voice when he said, It is finished. That is, that everything necessary to regain the favor of the Father, to procure forgiveness of sins, righteousness, and salvation, that all this was performed and consummated by his one oblation, and that hence nothing was wanting, no place was left for another sacrifice. 14. Wherefore I conclude that it is an abominable insult, and intolerable blasphemy as well, against Christ as the sacrifice, which by his death he performed for us on the cross, for any one to think of repeating the oblation, of purchasing the forgiveness of sins, of propitiating God, and obtaining justification. But what else is done in the Mass than to make us partakers of the sufferings of Christ by means of a new oblation? And that there might be no limit to their extravagance, they have deemed it little to say that it properly becomes a common sacrifice for the whole church, without adding that it is at their pleasure to apply it specially to this one or that as they choose, or rather to any one who is willing to purchase their merchandise from them for a price paid. Moreover, as they could not come up to the estimate of Judas, Still, that they might in some way refer to their author, they make the resemblance to consist in the number. He sold for thirty pieces of silver. They, according to the French method of computation, sell for thirty pieces of brass. He did it once, they as often as a purchaser is met with. We deny that they are priests in this sense namely that by such oblations they intercede with god for the people that by propitiating god they make expiation for sins 
Christ is the only pontiff and priest of the New Testament. To him all priestly offices were transferred, and in him they closed and terminated. Even had Scripture made no mention of the eternal priesthood of Christ, yet as God, after abolishing those ancient sacrifices, appointed no new priest, the argument of the apostle remains invincible. Quote, no man taketh this honor unto himself, but he that is called of God, as was Aaron. End quote. Hebrews 5.4 How then can these sacrilegious men, who by their own account are murderers of Christ, dare to call themselves the priests of the living God? 15. There is a most elegant passage in the second book of Plato's Republic. Speaking of ancient expiations and deriding the foolish confidence of wicked and iniquitous men, who thought that by them as a kind of veils they concealed their crimes from the gods, and as if they had made a paction with the gods, indulged themselves more securely, he seems accurately to describe the use of the expiation of the mass as it exists in the world in the present day. All know that it is unlawful to defraud and circumvent another, to do injustice to widows, to pillage pupils, to molest the poor, to seize the goods of others by wicked arts, to get possession of any man's succession by fraud and perjury, to oppress by violence and tyrannical terror, all admit to be impious. How, then, do so many, as if assured of impunity, dare to do all those things? Undoubtedly, if we duly consider, we will find that the only thing which gives them so much courage is that by the sacrifice of the Mass as a price paid, they trust that they will satisfy God, or at least will easily find a means of transacting with him. Plato next proceeds to deride the gross stupidity of those who think by such expiations to redeem the punishments which they must otherwise suffer after death. And what is meant by anniversaries and the greater part of masses in the present day but just that those who, through life, have been the most cruel tyrants, or most rapacious plunderers, or adepts in all kinds of wickedness, may, as if redeemed at this price, escape the fire of purgatory. 16. Under the other kind of sacrifice, which we have called Eucharistic, are included all the offices of charity by which, while we embrace our brethren, we honor the Lord himself in his members, in fine all our prayers, praises, thanksgivings, and every act of worship which we perform to God. All these depend on the greater sacrifice with which we dedicate ourselves, soul and body, to be a holy temple to the Lord. For 
it is not enough that our external acts be framed to obedience but we must dedicate and consecrate first ourselves and secondly all that we have so that all which is in us may be subservient to his glory and be stirred up to magnify it this kind of sacrifice has nothing to do with appeasing god with obtaining remission of sins with procuring justification but it is wholly employed in magnifying and extolling god since it cannot be grateful and acceptable to god unless at the hand of those who having received forgiveness of sins have already been reconciled and freed from guilt this is so necessary to the church that it cannot be dispensed with therefore it will endure forever so long as the people of god shall endure as we have already seen above from the prophet for in this sense we may understand the prophecy quote, from the rising of the sun even unto the going down of the same my name shall be great among the gentiles and in every place incense shall be offered unto my name and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen said the lord of hosts in quote, malachi one eleven so far are we from doing away with this sacrifice thus paul beseeches us by the mercies of god to present our bodies quote, a living sacrifice wholly acceptable unto god quote. our quote, reasonable service end quote. romans twelve one here he speaks very significantly when he adds that this service is reasonable for he refers to the spiritual mode of worshiping god and tacitly opposes it to the carnal sacrifices of the mosaic law thus to do good and communicate are called sacrifices with which god is well pleased hebrews 13:16 thus the kindness of the philippians in relieving paul's want is called quote, an odor of a sweet smell a sacrifice acceptable well pleasing to god in philippians 4:18 and thus all the good works of believers are called spiritual sacrifices. 17. And why do I enumerate? This form of expression is constantly occurring in Scripture. Nay, even while the people of God were kept under the external tutelage of the law, the prophets clearly expressed that under these carnal sacrifices there was a reality which is common both to the Jewish people and the Christian church. For this reason David prayed, quote, Let my prayer ascend forth before thee as incense, end quote. Psalm 141, 2. And Hosea gives the name of, quote, calves of the lips, end quote, Hosea 14, 3, to thanksgivings, which David elsewhere calls, quote, sacrifices of praise, end quote. The Apostle, 
imitating him, speaks of offering, quote, the sacrifice of praise, end quote, which he explains to mean, quote, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name, end quote, Hebrews 13.15. This kind of sacrifice is indispensable in the Lord's Supper, in which, while we show forth his death and give him thanks, we offer nothing but the sacrifice of praise. From this office of sacrificing, all Christians are called, quote, a royal priesthood, end quote, because by Christ we offer that sacrifice of praise of which the Apostle speaks, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. 1 Peter 2, 9 and Hebrews 13.15 We do not appear with our gifts in the presence of God without an intercessor. Christ is our mediator, by whose intervention we offer ourselves and our all to the Father. He is our High Priest, who, having entered into the upper sanctuary, opens up an access for us. He is the altar on which we lay our gifts, that whatever we do attempt, we may attempt in him. It is, I say, who, quote, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. End quote. Revelation 1, 6. 18. What remains but for the blind to see, the deaf to hear, children even to perceive this abomination of the mass which held forth in a golden cup has so intoxicated all the kings and nations of the earth from the highest to the lowest so struck them with stupor and giddiness that duller than the lower animals they have placed the vessel of their salvation in this fatal vortex Certainly Satan never employed a more powerful engine to assail and storm the kingdom of Christ. This is the Helen for whom the enemies of the truth in the present day fight with so much rage, fury, and atrocity, and truly the Helen with whom they commit spiritual whoredom, the most execrable of all. I am not here laying my little finger on those gross abuses by which they might pretend that the purity of their sacred mass is profaned, on the base traffic which they ply, the sordid gain which they make, the rapacity with which they satiate their avarice. I only indicate, and that in few and simple terms, how very sacred the sanctity of the mass is how well it has for several ages deserved to be admired and held in veneration it were a greater work to illustrate these great mysteries as they deserve and i am unwilling to meddle with their obscene impurities which are daily before the eyes and faces of all that it may be understood that the mass, taken in the most choice form in which it can be exhibited, without any appendages, teems from head to foot 
of all kinds of impiety, blasphemy, idolatry, and sacrilege. 19. My readers have here a compendious view of all that I have thought it of importance to know concerning these two sacraments, which have been delivered to the Christian Church, to be used from the beginning of the new dispensation to the end of the world. Baptism being a kind of entrance into the church, an initiation into the faith, and the Lord's Supper, the constant aliment by which Christ spiritually feeds his family of believers. Wherefore, as there is but one God, one faith, one Christ, one church, which is his body, so baptism is one, and is not repeated. But the supper is ever and anon dispensed to intimate that those who are once allured into the church are constantly fed by Christ. Besides these two, no other has been instituted by God, and no other ought to be recognized by the assembly of the faithful. That sacraments are not to be instituted and set up by the will of men is easily understood by him who remembers what has been above with sufficient plainness expounded, viz., that the sacraments have been appointed by God to instruct us in his promise and testify his good will towards us, and who moreover considers that the Lord has no counselor, Isaiah, 40.13 and Romans 11.34 who can give us any certainty as to his will or assure us how he is disposed toward us what he is disposed to give and what to deny from this it follows that no one can set forth a sign which is to be a testimonial of his will and of some promise. He alone can give the sign and bear witness to himself. I will express it more briefly, perhaps in homelier and also in clearer terms. There never can be a sacrament without a promise of salvation. All men collected into one cannot of themselves give us any promise of salvation, and therefore they cannot of themselves give out and set up a sacrament. 20. With these two, therefore, let the Christian Church be contented, and not only not admit or acknowledge any third at present, but not even desire or expect it even until the end of the world. For though to the Jews were given, besides his ordinary sacraments, others differing somewhat according to the nature of the times, as the manna, the water gushing from the rock, the brazen serpent, and the like, by this variety they were reminded not to stop short at such figures, the state of which could not be durable, but to expect from God something better, to endure without decay and without end. Our case is very different. To us Christ has been revealed. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Colossians 
3. In such richness and abundance, that to ask or hope for any new addition to these treasures is truly to offend God and provoke Him against us. It behooves us to hunger after Christ only, to seek Him, look to Him, learn of Him, and learn again, until the arrival of the great day on which the Lord will fully manifest the glory of His kingdom and exhibit Himself as He is to our admiring eye. 1 John 3, 2 And for this reason, this age of ours is designated in Scripture by the last hour, the last days, the last times, that no one may deceive himself with the vain expectation of some new doctrine or revelation. Our Heavenly Father, who, quote, at sundry times and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us, quote, by his beloved Son, who alone can manifest, and in fact has fully manifested, the Father, in so far as is of importance to us, while we now see him through a mirror. Now, since men have been denied the power of making new sacraments in the church of God, it were to be wished that in those which are of God there should be the least possible admixture of human invention. For just as when water is infused, the wine is diluted, and when leaven is put in, the whole mass is leavened, so the purity of the ordinances of God is impaired whenever man makes any addition of his own. And yet we see how far the sacraments, as at present used, have degenerated from their genuine purity. There is everywhere more than enough of pomp, ceremony, and gesticulation, while no account is taken or mention made of the word of God, without which even the sacraments themselves are not sacraments. Nay, in such crowd, the very ceremonies ordained by God cannot raise their head, but lie, as it were, oppressed. In baptism, as we have elsewhere justly complained, how little is seen of that which alone ought to shine and be conspicuous there. I mean baptism itself. The supper was altogether buried when it was turned into the Mass. The utmost is that it is seen once a year, but in a garbled, mutilated, and lacerated form. End of section 40. Recording by Bill Mosley, Frelsburg, Texas, USA.